Welcome to Relationships Unhinged Podcast, where we explore dysfunctional partnerships that became deadly. These stories give a whole new meaning to the term, till death do us part. Welcome to episode 15 of Relationships Unhinged Podcast. Welcome back. So today I have a really screwed up story. You say, you, you realize you say that every single time. I know, I know. This one, this one's like, this one's sad. I feel bad about this one, this one's sad, but this one has like a lot of those crazy twists and turns that I like to find. Right. Nevertheless, this one's particularly sad. Okay. So this one happened... Um, December of last year. This is in Celebration, Florida, which incidentally is a community that was like developed by Disney. Okay. For to be like this like lovely like family area. It's pretty close to um like or, or like Orlando. The dad in this situation's name is Anthony Tote T O D T, and the mom's name is Megan. He was 44 and she was 42. They were both physical therapists. So they came from Connecticut. And they still maintained a house in Connecticut and two practices in Connecticut, like like physical therapy offices. And um, he flew back and forth. Um, I mean, she... That sounds annoying. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But I'm, okay, so imagine. So they had two physical therapy offices, a home in Connecticut, this rental home in Celebration, Florida, and they had some condo. I don't know if they had purchased the condo or they were renting the condo, but they also had a condo okay. down there in Florida. So, um, in Connecticut, um, the, the town that they practiced in was called Colchester. Um, and they had like a lot of the same regular patients or whatever, like a lot of their patients, well, him specifically, he was still working. He had like the same patients forever or whatever. The kids were homeschooled. So she, he says she has like chronic health problems that she has a history of Lyme's disease, like chronic pain. And that, like, every morning he has to, like, work on her. Okay. Like, before anything. So, like, right right after Christmas, around the 29th, family members called the police and said, um, could, they, could they do a welfare check of the house? Because right after Christmas, he said, oh, listen, um, you may not hear for, from us for a while. We all have the flu. Well, it sounds like it's, like, premeditated then, right? Right. Or maybe it already happened. Mm. So the 29th... The police go there, knocked on the door. They did like kind of a perimeter search. They didn't see anything. They didn't see anything suspicious. But I guess neighbors said like, you know, they often go out of town. They also have a house in Connecticut. So I guess they didn't find really anything suspicious. Yeah, and they probably knocked on the door doing a regular welfare check. And if no one comes to the door and there's nothing right, and they askew, say, like, they, yeah. Yeah, so there's like nothing, okay? So I guess like that's all they could do. But then come January 9th of this year, they get a request for another welfare check because they still hadn't heard from them. No missing persons reports were done at this point, nothing? No. Okay. No. So the police go back there, but again, they find nothing suspicious. They don't see him, they don't see them. Right, right. The neighbors say um, there's not really been any activity for the past month. I was just going to say, I mean, the neighbors 
didn't see anybody coming or going or no no and and from what the neighbors say there was always like a lot of activity so there's three they have three kids well yeah i was just thinking that if there's three kids in that house there's going to be people in and out all the time yeah and because they homeschool this is before like this before lockdown so they were already homeschooling so the kids were there like 24 hours a day there was a pool out back neighbors say that they were always playing basketball or else swimming in the pool sometimes until like 1 a.m there was like always a lot of activity but then since like right after thanksgiving the neighbors claim they didn't really hear any activity. Okay. They also claim like where they parked and stuff was kind of like right on the like right behind them, I guess on the street. So they you know they just hadn't seen them in a while. So on the ninth they do this welfare check, and they don't see anything. But incidentally, um, the Department of Health and Human Services is doing this like covert investigation on his practices uh-huh. because apparently he's been running these like health fraud screen- schemes. So he's been like double billing or billing for patients that don't go there anymore or like all sorts of stuff. Right. So this guy has gotten himself in a lot of financial hot water. So he's got over at least 20 high interest loans, Oof. Two, two houses, right. Two practices and this condo, not to mention like the cars and the other bills. And um, they claim that they think his payments were somewhere around $99,000 a month. Whoa. <laughs> Can you even imagine? No, no, I can't. Uh, no. It gives me anxiety just considering it. So I guess he kept like taking out these loans to pay off other loans. More money, more problems. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, in this case, major problems. Yeah. So. Incidentally, when they came to um, serve him these warrants, because now they, so they, his office had been closed basically since Thanksgiving, and this is in Connecticut. Right. But nobody put two and two together that like his family was like reporting that they hadn't heard from them in Florida. Right. And then he also, he, they weren't in Connecticut because his office had been closed since Thanksgiving. And there was a sign on the door that said, we'll reopen after the first, meaning 2020, the first. So listen, if he did, at this point, already kill the family. Mm-hmm. What the fuck was going to happen after the first? <laughs> right. Well, that sign got put up there on th- like around Thanksgiving. Okay, so you think that was done before they yeah. were actually murdered? Yeah, I mean okay. the murders I think were definitely done by December 29th, the first welfare check. Okay. But somewhere I think right around Christmas. Gotcha. Okay, so go to serve these warrants for all this stuff. So, oh, here's like another thing. So like, they're out there like. Because I'm trying to figure out this timeline in my mind. Yeah. So now and then this this actual day right now is January 13th. Okay. So they, but they had been doing this like this big like um like uh you know like watching his office. What do you call that? Like a stakeout. Okay. Like a stakeout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were doing all this stuff, and they found that like. There were like days that he was closed and that he was still billing for like 16 patients a day. Holy crap, yeah. And like he wasn't even open. He wasn't even around. Fucking greed, man. I mean, yeah. Money is the root of all evil, they say. I think that's like definitely true. So the federal agents come. Right. And they got a warrant for him. This is the first time that anybody in law enforcement has actually seen this guy physically. So. Because outside of the welfare checks, there really wasn't anything else. No. Mm Mm-mm. And no one ever reported anybody missing because no. I'm assuming that he's, you know, communicating I mean, with people in the family. Yeah. So I guess I guess he had used his phone and her phone a little to kind of keep like it from being too suspicious. Right. Right. Not. I mean, not a lot. A little. Just a little. Um, okay. So they they see him outside. They're like, you know, we have warrants or whatever. 
he opens his door to his house and he starts to walk in, but he leaves the door open. Right. So they start to walk in, but they smell this oh, god awful yeah, smell. Yeah, if they're, yeah, if they're in there. Yeah. So they just like immediately just like take him outside. They don't even like they don't even go in the house. It's like not even their business. So they call up the sheriff and they, you know, the sheriff's department, they say you know, something's going on here. So the sheriff's department comes out. They find his wife, his three kids and the dog all deceased. Ugh. Yeah. So, and and like an advanced stage of decomposition. Uh, so they're all like in the same room. I'm surprised room. the neighbor, I, I'm curious to see what the offsets were, the setbacks from the neighbor's houses because. Not that far. And actually I have a picture for you to post. Cause I'm curious, no one else smelled this? So they're, I mean those properties, you know, they're like one of those close neighborhoods in Florida where maybe, maybe 25, 30 feet yeah. next door to each other. Hmm. Not that far. So he put them he put them all in the same bedroom. Oof. Yeah. And he wrapped them all in blankets. So when they were found, they had rosary beads in their hands. The wife was in their bed and he had been sleeping with her. No, no, no. no. For at least four weeks. What? Yeah. Now talk about unhinged. This guy was totally unhinged. Ugh. I know. So they take the they take the bodies and they do the autopsies and they determine obviously that they were all homicides. And, well, I would imagine so. Right. And he, I mean, he, like, seriously, the cheese, like, literally did slide off this guy's cracker. They, like, they take him out, and he goes to the hospital for a little bit because he claims he tried to kill himself with Benadryl. And with then, Benadryl? Yeah. So then when they are finally able to question him and stuff, he completely cooperates. On the 15th, the sheriff holds a press conference, says, um, we found these bodies, the body of Megan, she's 42, Alec, he's 13, Tyler, who's 11, and Zoe, who's four, and the dog, Breezy. And, they're, and they've, all been, they've all been killed. And that he confessed to them that he did it. Hmm. So, um... I mean, this guy clearly had a mental breakdown. Yeah, so he has, like, this arraignment, right? Now, this is kind of, this is kind of crazy. So this guy's, this guy's, like, not that tall. You know, less than 5'10". You know, somewhere around less than 5'10". I'm just gonna say, like, no, like... All the police are taller than him, like significantly. So I can't really tell like in relation to everybody how tall he is, I don't know how tall they are, but he's not that tall, but he's huge. Like he's got this ginormous stomach, like maybe he hasn't taken a poop in like six months. So, That's and a, has like done nothing but Everybody eat. enjoy that? <laughs> Go ahead. Like just huge stomach, he's overweight. He's like, I mean, he looks like semi, uh, like like lost his mind like just kind of blank stare right, right. like a little bit of facial hair a little bit of mustache a thousand mile stare yeah so when they take him in for his arraignment they lock him in this cage it's a tiny room like the room is probably i don't know 15 by 15 this tiny room like full of prisoners and a judge like a two tiny little desks where like the lawyers go and then there's these two little cages in the back of the room that look like dog pens you know where you put your dog outside and he's locked in one now, where, he, where he should be. But incidentally, right, here's this guy who's this weird, overweight, like zoned out white guy. Right. And then all in the whole prison sitting in the regular benches are like what look like, you know, they could be some scary individuals. Like, right. Like they could, might be gang members. They might be like, you and know, then, and then this cartel. Pud, and then this pudgy guy. Right. And he's the one like locked up. But... When they get up there, because there's, there's such close quarters in this room, like everyone's like basically sitting in this like right in close proximity. 
the the public defender doesn't want the charges read out loud. I guess she thinks that they might try to do something to him. So she says, don't read the charges out loud. Don't, you know, and so they don't. They they take him out. They just like say like, all right, we're gonna, we're, you're getting arraigned. You're, you're going to get a trial, like whatever. So they take him back to jail. And um, from jail, he ends up making a phone call to his sister. And he, he says, um, I, I'm not really sure what happened. I don't remember anything from Christmas Must until... Must Benadryl. <laughs> right. Which, you know, that's a reoccurring theme. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't remember anything from Christmas until a week after I got here. His sister's like, you know, what happened? He's like, I don't know. He's like, you know what? And then he says to his sister, how's mom? Well, the sister says, well, mom's not that good. You know, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to like upset you. Mom's pretty upset, but it's like brought back some stuff for her. Okay. So incidentally, this is like the first little twist. When he was a kid, his dad tried to kill his mom. His dad was a teacher and had a student come into his house no way while he was out with another woman ah. and shoot his mom in the in the face what yeah so his mom and obviously she survived lost her left eye and she still has a bullet lodged in her brain that they can't take out ever wow that's an interesting twist right so his dad did 20 years in prison in that time his mom recovered got remarried but i mean this is a childhood trauma i guess that uh, he yeah. doesn't think he's ever gonna get over yeah that's and pretty interesting then has some pretty long-lasting repercussions. <clears throat> so the manner of death, from what they could tell in the wife and the boys, is like there's some stabbing, but there was no stabbing in the little girl. Okay. So he he writes his dad a letter from prison, and this letter is 27 pages. And in this letter, he tells his dad he tells his dad like basically the whole story of what happened that day. He basically says that she murdered everyone. Who did? the wife and then she killed herself Megan okay so this is what this is his story his story is that he that day he got up right for the first time in forever Megan wasn't feeling pain and so he went over to the condo that they owned and he wanted to do some repairs and find this necklace for the little girl okay that she wanted and then he said he gets there he realizes he forgot some tools so he came back home the boys were in the driveway playing basketball. So Which we, is consistent with them to, with the neighbors talking about the kids playing basketball all the time, being outside. Right, right. Okay. Right. But, you know, I have to tell you, like, when okay, so after I'm done, like, telling you the story of, like, what he says that day, uh-huh. we'll, like, we'll kind of, like, talk about it. So he says that the boys were playing basketball, so he got out of the car, and he probably should have been mad because they should have been doing work. and But instead, he just decided to just play basketball with them. Okay. So he played basketball for a while. Um, and then went back to the condo and then randomly fell asleep in the front seat of the minivan. Mm, okay. And right. then didn't wake up till 4.30 in the morning. Up to this point, it was going good. Right. Until that part. Right. Until you randomly fall asleep in the front seat of a minivan. Right. So then he says um, he realized that he had fallen asleep overnight. And he was like, crap, she's going to kill me. Like, I'm supposed to wake up early and do her PT with her. and. Right. She, you know, she's going to be mad. So he tries to start the van, but the van won't start. I mean, if this was like really what happened, you know. Mm. So then he claims he gets to the house. He opens the door and she's sitting at the top of the stairs. Okay. And she tells him that she killed the kids with Benadryl pie. Benadryl pie? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So he says there was a pie Mm -hmm. sitting on the counter. It looked delicious and fruity. 
like all her desserts. Right. But when he smelled it, it smelled bad. Okay. So he claims that she told him that she killed them with Benadryl pie, but then um, they didn't die. So she used methods of suffocation and stabbing to actually kill them after they were just simply sedated. Hmm. So in the autopsy, there wasn't really enough Benadryl to do anything to anybody. Maybe not even like fix your allergies. There was a little bit of Benadryl. <laughs> right. So, but like certainly not a fatal dose for anybody. I mean, you actually a fatal dose Ooh, of that, Benadryl. That blasted autopsy gets you every time. I know. <laughs> just, you you could take so much Benadryl and not die. Like, you, it's really. crazy. But, you know, it's not the same thing with Tylenol. Take a little bit of Tylenol, you're dead like four or five days later. But Benadryl, you could take a lot of and not die. So I don't know how much you could put into a pie and think you're going to kill a family yeah. of five. Especially this guy's pretty big. You probably need a lot for him. Yeah. So um, so he so he says that he goes upstairs and he's like, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? And she says, um, I, ha I had this weird feeling that the end of the world was coming and I wanted to free their souls, right? So he says he goes in the bathroom and he vomits because he's so upset. And then he... So instead of calling the police or mm -hmm. anything, um, you know, he, he's like describing this strange scene where he like moves them all to the same room, washes their face, what? Wash, puts these rosaries in their hands. Oh, so he admits doing that? Mm-hmm. Wraps blankets around them, right? And mm -hmm. then he says that she says, you know, now I want to be with my babies. So she stabs herself in the stomach. And he's like, don't, don't, don't. And she's like, don't try to stop me. In fact, just kill me, help me die. Like all the stuff she's, he's saying that she says to him. And he's like, no, he's like, you know, don't do that. So then he says, she drank Benadryl. She stabbed herself again. And then he says, but he doesn't try to call the police. No, not at no point, right? No. Right, right. And then when they say to him, why didn't all you try to call the police? All this shit going on in the house This right guy's now. huge. Yeah. And this lady allegedly is kind of frail because she has chronic pain and all this stuff, allegedly. Because um, she looks pretty healthy to me, but you never know what's going on with people. Yeah. But, um, you know, so he ne he doesn't try to overpower her and take the knife. He just says she didn't want me to, she wanted to die mm. and be with her kids. So he says she stabbed herself. Then he sta she stabbed herself again. He claims he tried to do CPR on her, but he couldn't bring her back, even though the whole time he was doing CPR, till he was physically incapable of doing it for another second. In his mind, his mind was saying, she's going to be mad at you if you save her. Hmm. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So, um... Imagine coming back to life like, damn you. Damn you saving my life, you bastard. Right. Yeah. And I think, like, everyone knows that if you if you die from stabbing, yeah. CPR is not saving it's you. It's not doing shit Because you bled to death. Right. It's not like your heart. All CPR is going to do is keep pushing that blood more out of right. your body. Out of, yeah, out of your blood vessels. <laughs> right. Um, so... This long, long note that he writes to his dad, in the end, he says um, that he has like an amazing team of lawyers and they've recommended that he doesn't say any of this stuff. He doesn't like put any of this out. Right. Now, in the meantime, he has a public defender, A. I'm not saying she's not fine. She's probably good. She's probably fine. But this is not an amazing team of lawyers. This is not like right. Kardashian, like, you know, yeah. this isn't like, yeah. So, um, he says, so instead of sticking up for himself, he's just sitting idle and and making a list of people he's going to sue. Okay. <laughs> right. So um, in the end of this note, he tells his dad he forgives him for not protecting them that night. Now, not the night his mom got shot. 
right. the night that his family got killed. Now keep in mind, he, he blames his wife for this, but right. he had already confessed. Right. And he'd been sleeping in the house with them for at least four weeks yeah. in the same room. It's so disgusting. He literally like lost his mind. Yeah. So when I listen to this, like when I read about this story that he writes, mm -hmm. I get like this image kind of of like the movie Requiem for a Dream, which is like where like Jared Leto, he was on drugs in this movie. Okay. But he was kind of like totally mentally insane. So like this whole sequence of events goes by and he's just like not even in his right mind. Okay. So I wonder like if any of this actually happened. Like I wonder if there really was basketball if the wife wasn't really like didn't wake up like in, for the first time ever with no pain like like did the murders already happen and then like and his then that's what his mind like put together like she woke up and she had no pain you know then i played basketball with the boys and yeah so like you did it actually happen or not right yeah. like was it this fantasy world that like his fractured mind was like living in yeah but i mean to me, like, I, you know, I feel bad that, like, he lost his mind and, like, all this stuff happened. But then to go back and blame your wife for killing the children. I know. It's fucking crazy. I mean, like, it's bad enough that you took her kids and you took her. The relationship, you know, murders, not that they make sense to me, but I get it, I guess, because of the passion that's involved and the, the heartache and the drama and all that. But to kill children, to me, is just... I. I can't imagine how a person can can physically do it. That's the part that fucks me up. Like I can't, I I can't imagine. You I know? know. Like, and again, I'm not advocating killing your right, relationship. Of course, of I'm just course. saying I but understand the because thing is, like, like heat of passion. Right. Like know. with your significant other, you have moments of like bliss and moments of like hatred. Like no, even in the best relationships, like right. you could go from like loving that person to hating them five minutes later, but then you can go back to loving them. Like you have strong emotions, like in a love connection that's what i mean but your children you don't have that right like even when they're older and they like do bad things like you still don't have that you still i feel like parent you look at your kid and you just like know they're a piece of you and you just right. like accept them no matter what and right. like, the moment they're born you look in their eyes it changes everything yeah so that's i don't know i just like statistically kids are most likely to be murdered by their dads and the murders are more likely to take place either by stabbing or by suffocation wow so like here he falls into all these statistics. It's crazy. Um, I mean, I hate hearing these stories. By the way, I hate hearing these stories about these kids dying. It's the worst. I know. I try to avoid them. There's really not Ugh, that many of them. God. I mean, there's a lot of them out there, but yeah, I, I try to avoid them. But to me, the thing is, is like, I, I mean, you know, I like these twist and turn cases, and I and the fact that you know he he lived with their bodies. He he got them yeah, clean, put these rosary beads, wrapped them in blankets, had them all in the same room slept in a bed with his dead deceased decomposing wife for Ugh. four weeks you know and then didn't call anybody right just avoided everybody minimally i think used his and her phone just to be like we're good yeah um and yeah. not a lot not like on a daily basis like i think like a couple times um you know and when the sheriff puts out his like his um little press conference you mm -hmm. know he's trying to tell the story but he gets to zoe and he like has to hesitate because he literally gets choked up. He's like, you know, we found the bodies of Megan, right. Alex, Tyler, and then he says Zoe. And then like he literally has to hesitate for like 15, 20 seconds where you know that he has to stop talking. Right, because he's going to start crying. Yeah. He has confessed to killing his wife, Megan, Tote, 42 years of age, whose date of birth is January 28th, 1977, and their three children, 
Alec Tote, 13 years of age, born September 26, 2006. Tyler Tote, 11 years of age, born December 30th, 2008. And Zoe Tote, who was four years of age, born July, Twenty third, two thousand fifteen. Anthony also killed their family dog, Breezy. Uh, Anthony has been arrested on a warrant obtained by our detectives today for multiple counts of homicide and one count of felony animal so cruelty. When they it affects everybody. Yeah, and when they arrested Tony, he went by Tony. Um, Tony. Yeah, he claimed that you know he had tried to kill himself with Benadryl multiple times over that period of time. You know, I'm curious how much Benadryl they had in this house. Like, I'm thinking a 55-gallon drum. I know. From all the stories. Well, he says that she put an entire bottle of Benadryl in this pie okay. and some Tylenol PM. But if this thing smelled so bad, like, why did the kids eat it? Right. Like, how do you compel someone to eat something that tastes like that? I, I don't think that happened. Well, first of all, we know it didn't happen because of the autopsy report. Right. There was Benadryl in their system. So she might, there might have been Benadryl in the pie. I'm not saying she put the Benadryl in the pie. There may have been Benadryl in the pie. But not enough to kill someone. No. The levels in anybody, nobody had more than one ounce of Benadryl yeah, so in maybe, their system. There you go. So. Maybe yeah. the kids had fucking allergic reactions or something and they gave the kids Benadryl, you know. I mean, all of them. But it seems like, it seems like a Benadryl. Oh, they all, oh, they all had Benadryl in the system? And the mom and him. Okay. So all of them. And then he multiple times apparently tried to like drink a bottle of Benadryl. Right. Well, he, he mentioned that through his own admission. Mm-hmm. Real quick, I'm just, because I can't get it out of my mind right now, but I'm on YouTube, right? And I, and I stumble across this like horrific 911 calls captured, right? So I'm like, oh, what is this? So, because of the show, I'm like, oh, I'm curious. Let me listen. So, I start listening to these 911 calls. And this guy that narrates, he's got, like, this voice that, like, captures you. You know, it's like, you know, immediately, like, you just get sucked into this world of 911 calls, right? So, I'm listening, and the stories are, like, ridiculous, okay? Ridiculous. So, one of them, so I'm listening to a few of them, and, and they definitely got me hooked, right? So, mm -hmm. this lady calls 911, and she says... That when she's talking, she sounds like she's talking to her friend. Mm -hmm. Okay, like they're going to set up a spa day. Right. She says, "Just so you know, um, if you can send an ambulance, I'm in this abandoned house, like in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I killed my two kids." So the dispatcher's like, and it's like down south from her, right? So this dispatcher's like, "Excuse me, like what'd you say, honey?" Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I killed. She goes, "I can stab both my kids. One's still alive though." I can hear her and she keeps asking me for help. So you might want to come and help her. And the dispatcher is like trying to process what she's saying. So she's like, you stabbed your, your kids? She's like, yeah. So then she says, yeah, one's still alive. Like I said, you might want to just come here and help her. And then she's like yelling into the next room where this little girl's dying. Mm -hmm. She's like, I know they're coming. I know I'm on the phone with them. I mean, that's... So anyway, the, the, they die, so the one little girl dies mm -hmm. because, well, I'm sorry, one lived because her sister laid on top of her body when she was being stabbed. So her sister took majority of the stab wounds to her back and she, she died to save her sister. I can't fucking believe that someone's capable of killing their own children. I know. 
And to hear that 911 call. I gotta tell you, thanks to you, because you know, I work night shift. And you know, to, to go along with your story, I was just sitting there minding my own business when you were like, I listened to this god awful thing I should never have listened to. But then curiosity got the best of me, and I listened, and I was like, oh That's my what god. So two hours later, I had listened to all these 911 calls. Did you listen to that one? No. Listen to it. That's a whole thing is like, no matter what your job is, right? No matter what your job is, you could go to your work, you could have a good day, you could have a bad day. And you know, you are a dispatcher and you walk into work and you just want to help people. Uh, yeah, picture you sitting there with your cup of coffee, your bullshit with your friends. 911, can I help you? Especially down south. Right? I kill my kids. Like, I don't even like, and, and I'm telling you, these people do a really good job because they're like, okay, it's not your fault. I'm going to send someone for help. Like, they'll yeah. be so calm and sweet. They don't say, like, are you fucking crazy? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. They just oh, they'd go, be fired immediately. Okay. 911, I'm going to send someone to help you. Don't hurt yourself. Like, calmly. I give these people credit. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Dispatchers can thankless job. For I know. One. They never get the credit and recognition they should get because no. that is a fucking hard job. Picture sitting in a chair, taking calls from these hellacious calls like we just described, mm -hmm. and being powerless to the point where the only thing you can possibly do is, is hope someone is, gets there is fast. Hope, hope someone gets there fast. And and think about the time that goes on. Like so, a minute is like two hours to people. I know. So someone's being stabbed to death, and they're on the phone screaming for help, and it's dispatchers like trying to get the police and the fire department there and all this stuff. And trying to keep people calm. And at the same time. Sometimes they don't know where they are. Right, they're waiting and, or like, you know, the officers can't find the location. Or on those calls where people are just like, help, yeah. help. And you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, gotta it's be, a hard job. You can't pay those people It's enough. gotta terrify them so much. Yeah. So much. Very, very difficult job. Not it's, to mention just the bullshit. Like I ordered a pizza and it has pepperoni and they won't take it back. <laughs> like, really, okay, but no, but honestly yeah. like, you know, the reason they go to that job is to like try and get people to situations quick and try yeah. to discern like crazy stories. But like nobody punches in to hear I killed my family. Right. It's ever. just yeah, it's a thankless job. If there's anybody listening right now and you're you know uh, a dispatcher. You're a dispatcher or you know a dispatcher, just say thank you. Thank I mean, you. Yeah, it's a crazy ass job. Not and, a fun job. No. Big big props to dispatchers. That's a hard that's a hard job. Yeah. I mean incidentally, like when I was listening to that they had like a bunch of stuff like one from Great Britain that said 999 calls that should never have happened and someone someone called 999 and said I just came through the McDonald's drive through and uh, you know I I only wanted one cheeseburger but they gave me three and they told me just keep it but I didn't I don't want to pay for that and I didn't order three like oh and they're like don't call 911 for this somebody called 911 and asked for their password for their computer no way or else if they didn't know it please tell me the dispatcher was like pissed off because like great Britain, oh, yeah. they don't fuck around oh yeah yeah they get like pissed off they go, this is for life-threatening emergencies don't call here for that and they're like well who should I call um you basically they just told them don't call 999 for this life-threatening emergencies only hmm. someone's dying someone's dead otherwise don't fucking ever call here again yeah. So anyway, this guy Tony is scheduled to go to trial this pepperoni Tony. Yeah, this month, the sixteenth of December, I believe. Um, you know, things they didn't happen very quickly because of COVID and courts and being closed and all. COVID. And in the meantime, you know, there's been like some some developments because since he went in there, you know, he, he I guess weaned off the Benadryl. Oh, good. Had the That's phone good. call to his sister. Had the right. letter to his dad. And um, I guess we'll have to see what happens in this trial. I guess so. I'm interested, but they are going for the death penalty. Good. Well, so wait, you know what? I almost forgot to tell you this. What? 
So incidentally, when you know when they when the, the police kept going to the house and not finding anybody, mm-hmm. the the family in Connecticut were like knew that they were in financial trouble and then assumed that maybe they went on the lam. So I, I think that's like basically the root of all this is that the financial troubles were so much that he just couldn't see a way out and right. he didn't want to leave his kids to that. Yeah. So, all right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Sorry if that was a depressing one. That was really a sad they're one. They're used to it by now. Yeah. I think when they come on here, it's like a crapshoot. Yeah. They're either going to laugh or they're going to cry. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you for episode 16. 16. All, right. all right. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>